The road we're on is paved in Garth. Come along on the journey. As we explore Garthology. Think of it more as a conversation. I like that. So if this is truly a conversation, then I say let the conversation begin. Hi guys, it's Deb. And I'm Pete. And I'm Jess. Welcome to another episode of Garthology. For Season 2, Episode 10, we are going to review the second episode of Garth's The Road I'm On documentary, currently available on Netflix in the U.S. This mini-docu-series that originally aired as a two-night event on A&E's biography digs deep into the life of Garth Brooks, as discussed by Garth and those around him. The interviews are informative, the clips from the past are so entertaining, and the sentiments are all very heartfelt. For today's episode, we will talk about the final episode of the documentary, which lasts one hour and 25 minutes. When we left episode one, Garth and his former wife, Sandy, were realizing the powerful impact Garth's sudden fame had on their personal lives. Let's continue. So this starts off with Garth's raw recording of You Have to Die to Live Again. Oh, so good. It's so good. It's the first thing I have in my notes that I'm so happy that it made the album fun. Yeah, for sure. And I think that I remember reading somewhere or hearing somewhere that that was the first and only time he's let cameras into a recording session. Yeah, I did say that at the beginning. Yep. And actually, uh, they had uh, documented it on the Inside Studio G where he said, hey, you know what? This is going to be fun. We're going to let you guys go in for the first time and and record while we record inside the studio. So that was cool. It all came uh, full circle. So then we get some flashes of Trisha, Keith Urban, James Taylor, Billy Joel, all talking about Garth. And next we get into Sandy talking about the past. We also get some past information from Garth. They show some pictures of his family growing up, and he talks about how he wanted his family and his daughters to be proud of him. Right. Yeah, I, I felt that they start this episode off pretty pretty heavy with the introduction of his three girls and how Garth found himself fighting himself inside because he finally found something more that he loved than the music. And so I, I thought that uh, they, you know, after a soft opening, they really got into this one pretty, pretty thick, pretty heavy, pretty quick. Yeah. And I love what he says when he talks about how when they hand you your child for the first time, the world stops and starts spinning the other way. And, and the way that he describes his girls, right? Taylor, fighting courage. She'd trade her life for somebody that she doesn't know. Uh, August is intelligent with a stubbornness will. And then Allie, she's the dreamer. She dreams it and then she goes out and makes it happen. So it's kind of crazy how you get a little bit of, uh, you know, his mom and dad and and how that they were and what they've instilled in the kids. And now they're in the Garth's kids, you know, and, and his daughters. Yeah. Yeah. And then they show that video of Allie singing when you say nothing at all from Notting Hill, mm. which have you watched it yet? Me? Yes. Of course, I've seen it. We talked about it before. Right? He's like, me? No, me. <laughs> we talked about 
first we talked about both float float hopes or float hope hopes. Hopes. <laughs> first we talked about hope floats and then we talked about Notting Hill. Okay, I'm just going to let you guys know. I have a list of things that I was told to do from you ladies. The first one is watch Hope Floats. The second one is listen to That's My Job. I don't know anything about this Nottingham Hill or whatever you're talking about. (laughs) So no, I haven't watched it. I don't even know what you're talking about. Nottingham Hill. And I tried to watch Hope Floats, but my TV's broke. (laughs) Likely story. I don't believe you. But the way that she sings that song, holy moly, I am a big fan of her and her music. Big fan. Yeah, yeah, she's great. And then we get each of the girls talking about what it's like to have Garth Brooks as a dad. Yeah. I can't even imagine that, growing up with Garth Brooks as your dad. It's funny how they didn't even know who he, who or what a Garth Brooks was as an entertainer until much later in their life and how, how famous he was and how big he really was. And I thought to myself, you know, as they got older and started to understand what that was, what it meant, what a shock, huh? Like, my dad's Garth Brooks. Yeah. And I like how Taylor talks about the way that Garth treats people and the way that he connects with them and that it makes her proud and that it's genuine. Right. It shows that what we see and what we get from Garth, whether it's a TV interview or the Inside Studio G or Garth at a show. That is the Garth that's not just an act. It is the real Garth Brooks. And when his daughters confirmed it, it just made me respect the man that much more. It's not a fake. It's not an act. It's the real deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt too. Uh, So next we go into We Shall Be Free. And they talk about the writing of that. They show the old news footage of Rodney King. Stephanie Davis talks about how that song came together. Garth talks about the controversy and the question of, was this too liberal for country music? So that was a really good discussion about We Shall Be Free. Well, and I had never thought about before, because even when we talked about it, I thought about them kind of trying to pull out of playing the video just because of what it was and them not wanting to kind of put themselves out there because it was going to have some controversial stuff and maybe some controversial viewpoints, you know, which you would hope not. And you would think everyone feels the same about everything, but just not wanting to take a stand on one side of something. But I think it was more about maybe some of that. But like he was saying, that's four minutes of prime commercial time during the Super Bowl that they're not getting paid for. That's millions of dollars that they're giving up to play that video. And that had never occurred to me. And maybe just now too, thinking about it as an adult, certainly it wouldn't have occurred to me at the time had I had known the story. But, you know, those ads, that's a lot of money. Yeah. A lot. And didn't they, they showed the snippet of Garth performing because obviously like they finally did play the video. And Mm -hmm. so Garth did his part by going out and doing the song. And wasn't that Marley Matlin that was doing sign language for it? Yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's so, that was so beautiful. Yeah. So then we get Garth talking about what it was like to go overseas, which it's so funny because I didn't think about the fact that he toured in Europe at this time and he plays country music. Like Garth says in the show, this is American music. I never really thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Cowboys are America. Yeah. It was uh, the first time a country superstar ever went across the pond, right? I mean, that's what they mentioned in the biography. 
Yeah, that's amazing when you think about it. Right. Like his music had gone all the way over there. Yeah. And and not only did it just go all the way over there, the demand was so high that they got approval for multiple shows before they even left to go. Like they were going there for a entire it was going to be show after show after show. And when when they get there and they set everything up, Ty England comes on and he talks about the crowd's response. They it, when they sang when they when they showed up that it would just go through your body and they would sing word for word every song that at some point they just felt that they were playing the instruments and letting the crowd sing the song right back to them. Country music is 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 American music. To go over there and have that kind of impact, wow! And they show the video of it and these people singing. They are just up. As much having as good of a time in your face at the stage, screaming at the top of their lungs as we do here at the live shows. It was that's really cool footage to see. Yeah, I would have loved to have been a part of one of those shows because even now, like people sing along with every song, but there are certain songs that everybody knows every word, and there are certain parts of songs that everybody knows every word. But to be at a show like that where people knew every single song every word to every song and everyone was like like that would have been a really cool thing to be a part of yeah. so i'm kind of sad that i missed out on those not that i could have easily flown to ireland back then or even now but <laughs> but i mean if i could pick something i wanted to do i would have loved to have done that yeah that would have been great and i also love in this you know they showed a snippet they just flashed words of all the different countries he played during that tour. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So many countries. Yeah. Places I never imagined he had concerts. Yeah. Crazy. So after that whole section talking about the Europe tour, then they come back and Pat Quigley from EMI asks Garth if he wants to play Central Park. Yeah, because he goes to Garth at Garth's house and he's asking him about Central Park. And Garth says, yeah, I'll play Central Park, but there's no way people are going to show up. So then Pat goes to the parks and he says that he's got HBO and Garth. And so they said, OK, we're in. And then Pat goes to HBO and says, hey, we got Garth and we got the parks. Let's do a concert. And they say, OK, we're in. So he comes back to Garth, you know, whatever time it was down the down the road. And he says, all right, listen, I got HBO. I got Central Park and they want you. So let's do it. And that's how the New York Central Park show came about. He didn't have any of that. He just knew that he had Garth's blessing is and if he could set it up, he would get it done. And holy moly, did it get done. That's how you handle some business. <laughs> right? Absolutely. I love that he went to each of those saying, I have this one and this one. So yeah. will you come and then I'll go to this one and this one and say I have this one. And, and awesome. none of them knew that none of them he didn't have anything at that. He just had Garth <laughs> say, yeah, we'll do it. But nobody's going to come. Yeah. yeah. And then they just blew the numbers out of the water. Like Billy Joel talked about what it was like to perform with him. He said he saw half a million cowboy hats in Manhattan. That's awesome. <laughs> he says, what's going on? What's wrong? You don't see cowboy hats in New York and there was a half a million. <laughs> the area was seven football fields long by five football fields wide. And he just wasn't sure that that uh, he could fill it. Obviously, he had the you know, he started to doubt what he had done, what he had agreed to. And that that was a great story about the hotel, how, you know, he was real worried all day and stayed in the hotel with the blind shut. Sandy kept wanting to go out and see. And he's like, no, you know, don't just just don't just stay here. And she's like, I can't do it anymore. And she walks out and she comes back in crying. He says, there's nobody out there. And she says, no, 
No, not only are there people out there, but they've already opened the overflow. It already filled. And they were thinking about shutting down the surrounding streets because that was so many people. Mm-hmm. And uh, whew, that, that's got to be, you know, there was a story right after that, that the a parks department guy had come to Garth and handed him a piece of paper with a head count, estimated head count of what they thought that they had as of 90 minutes ago. And Garth said, wait, you're trying to tell me that there's 850,000 people out there? And the guy said, no. No, there was 850,000 people out there 90 minutes ago. Woo! Holy moly. I love when Garth gets so emotional during this part and he talks about his hometown was 17,000 people. And now here they are telling him he's got almost a million people at Central Park. Yeah. Do you guys remember hearing this story? I want to say it was maybe on the Inside Fame interview. Years ago, I can't remember for sure if that's the one that was, but he talked about going into this and, you know, how nervous he was that nobody was going to be there, that they weren't going to be able to fill it. And he talked to Trisha about it and she basically was like, you're you're Garth Brooks, like people are going to, you know, and he was like, okay, you know, going in and then and she was right. It was Garth Brooks, like people showed up, of course, people showed up and like in huge style like bigger numbers than anyone else had ever seen or that they could have foreseen would show up in the park it's crazy because one of my favorite stories about this and i've watched that new york central like like i still have the v i have actually two vhs copies of it one unopened and then one obviously i put who uses vhs but one of my favorite scenes is the helicopter scene Mm -hmm. and never once did i ever put two and two together that the camera above the helicopter had to have been coming from something higher than that helicopter And so when this uh, biography came out, the guy had talked about that Garth wanted a second helicopter to show the scenes of the propeller blades on the helicopter to get that view. And they say that they had to pull out another $150 million or something like that in insurance. And then with the amount of people that showed up that that caught, they weren't even sure that they had pulled out uh, enough insurance at that point to cover all that. God forbid something happened. But. Right. That's crazy. It's crazy to think that he was worried and then what ultimately happened. Right. Yeah. So they did the whole segment on the New York concert. Then we go into what it was like for the girls to grow up with Garth Brooks as their dad. And the next clip they showed was Garth singing James Taylor's Sweet Baby Jane to Taylor when she was little. Oh, I know. So good. It's so good. That's really, really good. And it's just like, oh, it melts your heart. And then you put the story behind it where Sandy mentions at that time how everything was moving so fast that it just seemed like at 3 p.m. every day while they were on the road when she was there, like those were her favorite memories, right? Because she just got Garth. She just got the girls and the girls would run around on stage and it was their jungle gym, right? They'd ride bikes, throw the football or whatever. And then, you know, at the same time that Garth found a little bit of a break to enjoy his his wife at the time and kids, he was still singing and, you know, prepping for the next show. And like, yeah, I mean, the way that he sings that song, it's just like, oh, it's so good. But then you look at like, those were the memories that his wife had of him at the time. It makes it bittersweet. Bittersweet, right. Yep. Bittersweet. Yeah, and then when Garth says, you know, he gets really, um, you can tell it really affects him. He talks about how he forsake his marriage and his daughters in the 90s and how he gave someone else his job. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that really bothers him. Yeah, and especially just knowing how important his family is to him and how much he credits 
the influence they had on him as far as who he is to suddenly realize like you're not having that influence on your kids. Someone else is like, that'd be devastating. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. So the next segment was all about Chris Gaines, the story about the soundtrack and how it was supposed to be a movie. And then they go into all the backlash. Yeah. My favorite part of that whole thing is Trisha saying every time someone says anything bad about that album, she wants to punch him in the face. Cause I'm like, "Mm -hmm, me too. It's a great album. And I don't want to hear anything else about it. Yeah, it was a great album. And I love it. I did think Garth made a good point. Because he said if he hadn't been country, he probably would have gotten away with it. Yeah. You know that for some reason, people in other genres are given more latitude when it comes to this kind of stuff. They're allowed to try other things. Yeah. But for some reason, Garth tried it and suddenly there was all this backlash. And country's still that way. Like when people like Taylor Swift who start out country and then when they kind of step over, then people are like, then you're that. You're this or that. You're not both. Right. So like when she wanted to do something else, then they were like, she's not really country. Like she couldn't just be like both things. Like you can't love both things. And they really can't. I don't know why it is that way. People who are pop artists have done country albums in the past and nobody really says anything or cares one way or the other. They may not listen to it, but they don't drop them as a pop artist. But it just does not work the same way going from country to pop. Yeah. No, it sure didn't. He got he got a lot of flack for that. Yeah, you know, I'll be the first to admit I wasn't too sure about it when it first came out. And then I listened to it and uh you know, listen, it's not my most favorite work that Garth ever did, but I definitely didn't think it was as bad. And they even say, like, people say that it flopped and it was a failure or whatever. Sold two million records. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Only if you use Garth Brooks as your measuring stick. That's the only way right. it was exactly. a failure. Exactly. That's the only way that it <laughs> fails. Exactly. You know, I wasn't sure. I didn't know up until a while ago. Maybe it was even this documentary when it first came out. I didn't realize that that album was to be for a movie soundtrack. They put the music out so people understood the story and the music before the movie came out and the movie never, you know, uh, materialized. So they didn't put it out. I didn't know that. I just thought it was a different type of music that Garth was trying to put out during that time. But yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. I can't wait till we do the, uh, the podcast on that album. Me either. I'm so excited for that one. But I think you're right. I think a lot of people were in the same boat as you and they didn't know anything about a movie and they didn't understand like they were just like, if he wants to do a pop album, do a pop album, but in a very judgy way, you know, like he's just using this as an excuse. Like if that's what he wants to do, he should do it. But I think had it been marketed differently and the information had been put out there better, it might've been handled better or received better. But Regardless, at the end of the day, I still say it was great music. So, and I think if he did it now, like because his fans are his fans, like just kind of hardcore his fans, I think they would listen to whatever he put out. The funny thing is, the music that's on it is very, it's original music, but it's very reminiscent of those things that he was singing in the clubs before he was famous that got him famous, you know, because he's saying all those kind of things then. And even at the, you know, at the shows like The Wind, where he sings little snippets of, old like 70s rock and stuff it has that sound so and everyone loves it and eats it up but when it was original music and its own thing I think it was maybe his look even more than the music that was so jarring to people yeah I think people were going what is he doing why is he trying to be someone else yeah and without the backstory of knowing the movie and the character and why why the soundtrack was being released it gets all lost in the jumble of it sure yeah And I'm still bummed it never happened because I would have loved to have seen Garth act in a movie, honestly. Yeah, me too. But 
So we'll hold the rest of that off for our Chris Gaines podcast. (laughs) So the next segment was started with a video of him and his mom. Uh Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then you see Garth, he tears up about his mom, about losing his mom, and said how she was the light inside. Dad was the light along the path, but she was the light inside. I love that. That was such a beautiful way to describe them, I think. And one thing I think that uh, really gets me, and he mentions it in there, where somebody would come and say, you know, you, Colleen, you really got to be proud of your son. And she'd be like, which one? Like every time. I thought that that was cool, right? She didn't put Garth on any bigger pedestal than the rest of them. Yeah. His dad, you know, always flew under the radar, but he said his mom, boy, she would run around at every show with a big circle G on her back <laughs> and just, the, you know, just there, like just, just living it up. Yeah. Great for her. I love that. It's how I be. I'll run around on stage with a circle G on. Well, and then we get the snippet of Allie singing When You Come Back to Me. Oh Oh my my gosh. gosh, That's so good. Yeah. And she does it a cappella. Like I've seen her do it on uh, with a guitar, with an acoustic guitar. Oh, good Lord, is she good. Yeah. Mm, I love that whole segment. And then when Garth says that. So now look at the end of the 90s. You lose your biggest cheerleader. You're going to get a divorce and you're going to say goodbye to music. Like, how does one person take all that in at one time? That's so much to handle. Yeah. And I don't think most people realize that all of that was happening in his life at the same time. You know, like people who are really big fans of Garth probably, but just the average person knows at the end of the 90s, he left music. And then they know that a couple years later, he got divorced. Well, he separated a couple of years before he got divorced. So, I mean, that was going on in the meantime. And then also, you know, they probably know his mom passed at some point. They don't know that that was happening at the same time. That's Those are all huge, life-changing, devastating things. And to have them all in such a small space, I mean, he needed that time to withdraw and just take it in and figure out what life was going to be. And I mean, anybody would. Like, I mean, just the highest of highs, like all the way through the 90s. And then, bam, here come the end of the 90s. And you got all of that to deal with. Yeah. Talk about a roller coaster of emotion. I think, though, what a blessing to be able to throw himself into raising the girls and getting to know them again in the way that you know them when you're the parent that's there every day. Not that he didn't know them at all, but, you know, getting to be the parent. Right. You know, that he didn't get to be before. Yeah. Getting the chance to do that. He tells that story about both, yeah, about how their nannies say both. And he's wondering, why do my kids say both? And he realizes it's because, and I think that reflects back on like what you said, Jess, he wasn't able to do what his parents had done for him because he was gone so much. So knowing the influence they had in his life and he realizes my kids are learning from someone else. Yeah. I'm not teaching them. Yeah. That gave him the courage, I think, to retire. He knew what he had to do. Yeah, I think so too. And I love when August talks about him retiring and she says, you know, I can't imagine leaving a job that I love, but he did it for us. Yeah. And that she knows how different their life is for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and there, I just have to say on that little comment, because in that same segment, you know, you can see it really well. I love the girls' necklaces. Oh, yeah, those are cute. Those are beautiful. And I love how, you know, that Taylor wears the one where the triangle's first and August wears the one where the triangle's second and Allie wears the one where the triangle's third. I love that. I I have three girls. And so that's another thing Garth and I share. 
So mm-hmm. I need to get them something similar to that. I love those. So beautiful. Yeah. Going back to where you're saying how the nannies say the word both or both or whatever. And he said at that time, that night, that that's when he decided to retire. Um, that it was time for him to be at home to raise those girls. and Well, and I'm sure losing his mom too, you realize how finite that time is. And because I never knew the exact details. I knew she had had cancer. And, you know, but Trisha says in the, in part of the interview portion of the show that there was some surgery and then they were like, you need to come right now. So like, it seems like the end happened fast and maybe they weren't expecting it to go that fast. Or maybe it was, you know, something that happened with the surgery that, you know, or maybe they got in there and it was worse than they thought, but whatever it was that it seemed to have gone very fast at that point. So I think losing his mom, who obviously was so important to him, but also losing her right at that time and realizing like his time with his kids is also limited and you have a choice of how you're going to spend that time. Like I think all the stars just aligned for him to be like, this is what I have to do. I think it was never an easy choice, but I think all those things made the choice very clear. Yeah. And ultimately, I mean, what a good choice to you know, what a good choice he made to choose to be with his children. And I think a lot of people at the time were like, okay, sure, you're going to retire. Like, he'll be back in a year. Like, I don't think people really understood that he meant it. Probably, like, people who were close to him did. But generally, people in the industry and people out there in the world, I don't think probably really believed it. And so I think there's a lot of respect now that it's all said and done and that he did stay home until the baby went off to school. And that's when they came back. I think that people are kind of had to eat their words a little bit and be like, mm, he really did do it. You know, yeah, yeah. he wasn't kidding. He really meant it. Yeah. And I love what they did with the girls. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, great for them that they were able to do this because I know that there are a lot of families out there that, yeah, if they could live close enough to each other and do this, be with the kids every day, they would. And many people can't do that. So great for Garth and Sandy that they were able to do that. And they talk in the show about how whoever had them in the morning would, you know, the other parent would come over and be with them during the morning so that the kids, the girls would have both mom and dad there with them every morning and every night. And they would trade houses and trade parents. I mean, that is all things considered. Divorce is hard on everyone, I'm sure. I personally have never gone through it, but I know people who have have, and I know how difficult it can be for the couple as well as the children. So to imagine that they were able to come up with this way of handling it where they got to see each other's strengths and weaknesses as individuals, but also the kids got to see both parents every single day and every single night and give them some semblance of a normal life. Yeah, I applaud them for that. Yeah, I got to tell you, it is the most confusing to try to figure it out, but makes the most sense and probably we the best example of co-parenting that I have ever seen in anybody, obviously, who's had to go through divorce. Another thing that I got out of it was Garth saw Sandy in a different way, and Sandy got to see Garth in a different way as, as a person. You know, she got to see him get them to and from school and do science projects that she mentions in there. But when they talk about Garth's cooking, it is awesome. Tyson chicken mashed potatoes and his signature dish of corn where he throws some rice in it and it was gourmet was, I just laugh, laugh, laugh. And then right, they go right into, so we were pretty happy when Trisha came around. (laughs) 
That's awesome. <laughs> Poor girls, and they got to eat real food every day instead of every other day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like Garth has some interesting, uh, from things Trisha said, Garth has some interesting food ideas too and <laughs> is real <laughs> proud of them when he comes up with them. <laughs> I don't think there are any I would want to try. <laughs> Probably not. Boxed rice with corn because that makes it fancy. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Uh. Yeah, so then we get all into Garth and Trisha's relationship. So I love seeing that relationship, you know, hearing them talk about how it blossomed um, the 13 months that they spent, you know, getting together. And then I love that Garth took the girls to dinner and talked to them about asking Trisha to marry him. And they were so sweet and gave their blessing. That was a great story. I love that. Yeah, I love that too. I like that they involved them and made sure that they were ready for it to, for them to be a family before they kind of had another change for them to deal with, you know? Mm -hmm. I like how Garth says while he's sitting out at the point, when one is weak in one place, the other one is strong enough to pick that person up and carry him, and that he's lucky to, you know, be able to walk side by side with her. I thought that that was uh, super, super cool. And not only did he take the girls out, but he even says the next conversation was going to be the most difficult, and that was when he asked Sandy what her thoughts on it were and she responded by saying that you know that she thinks that garth needs it and his kids needed it and gave him his blessing uh to to pursue and obviously you know propose to to trisha yeah they all handled that so beautifully i think yep yeah and then we get may 2005 they showed the bakersfield concert where garth asked trisha and then seven months later they got married in the private ceremony it was at christmas time right Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. There was so much footage of that Bakersfield moment, like on everything <laughs> forever, which I did not mind watching over and over again. But <laughs> you're like, oh, another clip? Okay, then. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then we get to hear the girls tell stories about what it was like for Trisha to come into their family. And they call her bonus mom. I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Or Mama T. Yeah. So yeah. sweet. Taylor talks about how. You know, sometimes she would go out and catch tarantulas in Ziploc bags and throw them in the freezer. So when Trisha opened up the freezer, tarantula would fall out. Which is so funny because of the three of them, like she seems like the like the sweet, like very kind of quiet and right. sweet one. Right. Apparently not when she was like eight. Why are you going to do that to Mama T? Mama T don't need right? that. Right? She does not. Mm. She was there to feed you good food. <laughs> yeah. You want to go back to Tyson chicken and mashed potatoes? Corn with rice? <laughs> So next we get into the bridge story. I love that story. story. It's such a great story. It really is. It's Garth's way of instilling that work ethic. You want it, go out there and work for it thing. And his girls, I think that is that his dad, you know, taught in him. And uh, it's funny how Allie says that they didn't get they never got a normal summer. Um, They always had a farm project. And uh, she says that she'd never been taxed as much on a paycheck that she was from her dad. I thought that was great. (laughs) I love that he took taxes out of their paycheck. So awesome. Oh, I wish I'd known that kind of thing when my kids were littler. Do you think that they didn't know the difference? They should have 1099 Garth for that, right? Can't you do that? 1099 Garth? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we get that whole story. And you can tell that Garth loved that time, too. 
you know, those six months of building that bridge, they were there every day working on everything. They did every piece of it. And he spent those days with his daughters. And I love when he says, I don't want them to be small again. I just want them to be happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love too that he said they, at different points, you know, they stepped on things, they touched hot things, they got scars from building that bridge, but they'll look back at those scars and have those memories of how they got them and, and that he loved that. And I love that too. So then they seem to kind of segue to the girls must have grown up by this point. It's been the 14 years. And now suddenly they're talking about how, like Trisha mentions, the the pacing, pacing porch, porch that she included <laughs> on the house. Because Garth was just, you could tell he must have been bored out of his mind. Yeah. Like those those shots of him on the tractor and videotaping himself. Like he must have just been antsy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And I think that, you know, there was a, a kind of a backstory there that Garth pops on and says that, you know, Colleen had struggled with, with alcohol and, um, you know, that was known as the empty nest syndrome and that, you know, Trisha talked about the, the pacing porch, which I thought was great. Although I tried to spell that word porch like multiple times before I can get it right, but I got it. Thank you, autocorrect. <laughs> yeah. And I love that Trisha told him go back out on the road. Yeah. Where she was like, have you ever considered touring again? And he was afraid to do it, but she told him, I think it could be bigger than it's ever been. And he said, no way. What did he know? Yeah, he didn't know. (laughs) Like, you look at what you reach in the night, like what he reached in the 90s, right? And I think she mentioned it in there that, you know, his he would think that it was a a failure if he wasn't able to get back to that level, you know, back to to those numbers again. Um, And it was funny because they mentioned the last tour before retirement, nobody had cell phones like we talked about. And they come back here. Now everybody's got a cell phone. Like, that's crazy what happens in the 14 years. Like, no cell phone. What do we got? Beepers then. But no yeah. cell phones to now so everybody's got one. Yeah, what a difference that must have been. And to think he was worried about would he even sell a ticket. Right. <laughs> and yeah. then, like, the concert sold out in, like, 20 minutes. Like, three shows in right. 20 minutes or something the first time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I think what they had originally was they were going back to Ireland, right? That, that was the thing. Yeah. They were going to open back up in Ireland. And in Croke Park and tickets sold out within minutes for two shows and they added a third and then it was the fastest ever in Ireland, 240,000 tickets sold in 19 minutes. And then they added the fifth show. You know, when this happened, I knew that there was something going on, but I didn't read too much into what had happened. And then this biography came out and, you know, tells the story. And I guess the reason behind it all is because Croke Park is in a residential area. And so those people would have been locked down, you know, for five days straight. So the residents actually started, you know, hooting and hollering about it. And that's where all that had become a problem. But they said that uh, that show 400,000 tickets sold in total for those shows. And they tried. They wanted him to just do the original first three shows and the city would have gone along with that. But I think Garth had a point. I mean, that would have been like. 240,000 people, but he had sold 400,000. So how do you tell all of those other hundreds of thousands of people, sorry, I'm not going to do those other two? Yeah. They should have never booked the last two shows. Yeah. And really like that's the tipping point. Like you can be locked down for three days, but not five. I mean, you're already going to have to deal with it for a certain amount of time. And like he said, then deal with it this time. You've already... Like it's already out there and then you look at never letting it happen again if that's something that people are against. But you don't right. renege on all these people who've already bought 
tickets. Right. You do the five because that's what we've agreed on. It kind of goes back to his handshake thing. Yeah. They even called the White House to ask if Barack Obama would step in and try to help to get the shows approved to get it done. And uh, they just couldn't get through it. So all five concerts were canceled and Garth didn't know what to do, but he knew that the only way that he felt right handling it was invite the Irish to America. That's when they announced the American World Tour. Which is, you know, if you've ever heard him talk about Ireland, you know how special those shows were to him and you know how devastating that was to have to cancel on those people. Like, that was not an easy choice, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. And yeah, they they announced that world tour and they put Chicago on sale for the first show. And they had 86,000 people in the queue in the first three minutes. 20 minutes later, they came to Garth and said, we've never seen anything like it. 299,000 people in the queue. And it broke the American record for most ticket sales for one show in a certain period of time or something like that. And off that that tour went. And I think it was safe to say people showed up for him. Yep. And we went to it. A couple times. Yeah. <laughs> we showed up multiple times during <laughs> any time he was in Southern California, we were there with him. Multiple yes. times. <laughs> I do love the story. You know, he shows the scene of them bringing the concession worker onto the stage. That was amazing. Was. I cannot imagine what it would be like to hear that crowd yell my name. Mm-mm. That would just be unbelievable. Like that was a great story. Like that, like, and I was like, oh man, that's freaking awesome. Like she's crying. What is it? You know, what's it like? Okay, come out screaming her name. And then he says, okay, now you have to say goodbye. And she said, I don't want to. And like, you could feel it like, oh man, we, listen, Garth, if you're listening, will you ever get somebody get this to him? We don't want to say goodbye to you either. You just stay up there and play and play and play and play. <laughs> we don't ever want you to go either. It's true. Yeah. I never want my Garth Brooks shows to end. Never. Right? Even knowing that we're going to the next one in a couple hours or the next day, you never want them to end. It's true. The late night ones are the best ones. The 1030 shows. Yeah, because they just, they don't, they don't have a time they to They don't stop. end. They, you never know how long it's going to go. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then we go in, you know, the show's kind of wrapping up at this point. We get George Strait, inducts him into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Garth said 10-12 was the greatest night of his life. Yeah, such a cool moment. Yeah, that was awesome. And then everybody, they kind of go around, back around to all the people that had spoke during the both episodes. And we get some more information on his legacy, on how he relates to people. Ty England says it best. He says that he's a man of his integrity, his word, a handshake, and a follow-through. That's a true cowboy way. That's Garth's way. I thought that that was cool. Mm-hmm. That's just very, very respectful. Very respectful. Yeah. I think that sums it up perfectly. Yeah. I hope to God it's not 14 more years or 15 years before we another we get another biography like this. Yes. We would like you to do some more, Garth. <laughs> All right, guys, I think that wraps up our discussion of the second slash last episode of Garth's The Road I'm On documentary. Again, this is showing right now on Netflix in the U.S. Have you checked out our website at Garthology.com yet? If not, stop by and leave a comment on our blog page to let us know how we're doing. While you're there, go ahead and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the site. And remember to subscribe to our podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Do you listen on Apple Podcasts? If so, stop by there now and give us a rating and write up a quick review 
to let us know how we're doing and to encourage others to listen. Don't forget to share us with your Facebook groups by posting about us or sharing one of our posts there. Help your friends in low places become Garthologists too. Speaking of friends in low places, if you guys are on social media and you like to use Facebook, you could visit us at facebook.com backslash GarthologyCast. And if you guys like to use Instagram and Twitter, you can find us at GarthologyCast on those platforms. While you're there, if you could like and share, tweet, or retweet us, any kind of comment interaction is great. We enjoy it and we appreciate it. We really hope to see some of you Garthologists there on our social media platform pages. Okay, guys, we're going to be taking a short two-week break, so no new episode on April 17th or 27th, but we'll be back with a brand new episode on May 7th. Until then, this has been Season 2, Episode 10 of Garthology, and I'm Deb. I'm Pete. And I'm Jess, and we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. And remember to subscribe to our <laughs> to what again? What is it we do? Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>